Every so often, the lectionary readings uh, cry in unison, and today is one of those days. No surprise, the season after Epiphany is a season of following Jesus in ministry, and so there are some reflections on the concept of ministry itself. So today, all three of the main readings point in one way or another to the question of call and vocation. In Isaiah, you have the call of Isaiah, and you have this vision of God's glory in the temple, and Isaiah saying, I'm unworthy, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, and so the angel takes a coal and some tongs and then purifies the lips of Isaiah, which then empowers him to speak prophecy to the nation of Israel. In, uh, the, in Paul's letter, we hear a reference to Paul's own calling, where he says, I was, you know, the least of all the apostles, that same sense of unworthiness, but it was the grace of the Lord who called me into this ministry, and so I have this proclamation which I am reminding you about. And, of course, in the Gospel reading, you have the great story of the calling of the fishermen, where they, they were invited to cast their nets into the water, and they say, what are you talking about? We've tried fishing all night. There was nothing, and there was this miraculous catch of fish, and another boat came, and they couldn't even fill both boats full of fish, so clearly something at, was at work bigger than uh, simply normal activity. And then the punchline is, from now on, you'll be fishing for people, and they leave everything and follow him. And so they are called into this ministry. Now, um, this this topic of call and vocation, um, I have to start with how Holy Scriptures work because most of us have not had a vision of God in the temple or met Jesus walking along the shore um, or even seen Jesus in a vision. But what you have in all three of these stories is a pattern of call and vocation and that pattern is then what is applicable to us by analogy in terms of our own experience. This analogy in terms of how call and vocation works is, um, is a big deal when it comes to clergy. And when we look for people who are to give spiritual leadership in our church, we are asking explicitly questions of call and vocation. And so we look for this pattern. Is there a sense of being drawn, a, an encounter with God in some way? Is there, a, is a, there an empowerment by grace involved and so on? And um, uh, these scripture readings are not the comprehensive story of call and vocation because we have the history of the church where it, notably in all, all of these three examples there was no community discernment at all. The people were just individually called by God and they went and did their thing. And the church had an experience of that when people felt called and wandered around being itinerant ministers and pretty soon the church said, well, you get a couple of duds that way. We should probably check it out with the community and so we've developed... Um, testing mechanisms for call and vocation in the church at least. So it's not enough for someone to say, I feel called to be a clergy person. The community has to um, acknowledge and affirm that call as well. And so we have various vetting procedures in the church. So there's this, this question of discernment to see if it was a genuine appearance of the Lord, a call, genuine call by the Lord, or something else going on. Now, I could go on at length about call and vocation with respect to clergy. That's certainly my experience. But the fundamental point about call and vocation is that it's much, much broader than just a clerical question. I believe that the question of call and vocation is the fundamental thing that sets Christians apart from atheists, for example. Uh, that 
the idea that we are not a random accident of biology and, his, and history, but rather were shaped and formed by God for some purpose or set of purposes is the fundamentally theistic turn of the Christian faith, that we were meant to be and to do something or a set of things. And so, you know, as clergy are struggling with the question, am I meant to do this? Is this what God means for me to do with my life? That becomes uh, just a, uh, one example of the broader question that is there for all Christians. So any young person asking what they are going to do with their life, from a Christian perspective, the right question is, what was I meant to do with the gifts that I have? And so for that kind of question, um, uh, Frederick um, Buchner uh, has a very helpful and oft-quoted uh, maxim where he says, a vocation is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And that's a, that's a useful rule of thumb in trying to, you know, if you don't have a vision of God in the temple, how do you know that God is calling you? Well, you, you search yourself for your deep gladness and you look at the world for the world's deep need and you see if there's a match. And, um, and it's helpful in some ways, um, but I, I'm, I'm not as optimistic as Buchner in others. Um, the, the notion of deep gladness, I think, doesn't get at the sacrificial quality of calling um, as, as powerfully as I think the scriptural witness uh, would indicate. I, I, I left the longer reading in. I could have chopped the second part of Isaiah out if I had wanted. I'm allowed to. Uh, but I left it in because I wanted to give you a hint of the kind of message that Isaiah was given to give to the people of Israel, which is, you idiots, and God is not going to help you. God is going to destroy everything that you love, and there's going to be nothing left, and it's going to be raised once, and there's going to be something left, and it's going to be raised another time until there's just nothing left but a seed of Israel that God is going to have to rebuild. That's not, you know, that's not a place of deep gladness. Uh, that The expression is not what I would choose. And I, I get that Buchner is, is not working at a shallow level. He's not talking about just happiness. He's talking about some deep longing or, or sense of rightness and so forth. I just, the word gladness, I think, is not a great translation. So that, that when you're discerning your vocation, it's that question of a sense of fulfillment or, or rightness or, or calling or being drawn to something. And so that, that it's not about being happy, but it's about doing something meaningful that is uh, deeply fulfilling. Uh, maybe a, the fulfilling is a bit of a better translation of what we're looking for. So I, I, I know from my own experience of clergy ministry how exhausted and frustrated I can be as I continue to work at this ministry that I believe is my calling. And there are many days when I would say, you know, a good bottle of scotch or two would just solve all my problems. Um, so it's not, it's not a happy, you know, fun, sunshiny, sing songs on the mountaintop time all the time. But there is a deep place of fulfillment in my ministry where I, this is where I was meant to be. This is what I am meant to do. And I am making a difference with my efforts. And there is, there is some sense of fulfillment in that. And so by analogy, for any Christian, it's that deep sense of fulfillment, of making a difference, of serving the community or the world or your family or some group in a way that is meaningful, that is, the, is that, that component the place of the world's deep need is the other part, which is that, you know, you, you may have a, a great desire to do something, and if the world is not interested in it or doesn't need it, then obviously that's something in you, but that's not your vocation. That's not what you were meant to do. 
Um, another thing that I will say about the call and vocation is that it's, it's more than just your working life. It's, it's your whole life. It's all aspects of your life. The correct question in every aspect of your life is what does God intend for me to be and do in this situation? So you can take it at every level. Your whole life can be the, the context of the question, but you could also take phases of life. There's, a, there's your, your childhood, your adolescence, your young adulthood, your family time when you're raising kids at home. Each of these has a different nuance on what God is calling you to do and to be in that circumstance. And as your life changes, then the calling changes as well. The new context creates a new sense of deep need to which your gifts are particularly called. So, so the, the question of vocation never leaves. It's never done. It's never, well, I figured that out and I was a plumber and that was what I was meant to do. End of story. It's more than that. It's who are you meant to be as a sister, as a husband, as a, as a member of Vernon's community, as a member of a club, whatever it is. Um, the question of calling is, is all-encompassing and can work at every level of uh, specificity. It, it can even go on a daily basis. What was I meant to do today? And this is something that, that, that sense of daily call and vocation, which is very important for, for example, recovering addicts, where they say, all I have to do is be my best self today and not give in to my addiction. And so that's, that's the scope that is achievable for me. I can't, I can't be my best self for the rest of my life. That's too big. I'm just going to do it one day at a time. Another really important part of this conversation of vocation is this notion of grace. That when you align yourself with God's purpose, it's not entirely up to you anymore. In fact, you sort of piggyback onto what God is already doing. And so you have this notion of grace, which is inseparable from the notion of call and vocation. That, you know, in every case, the person is unworthy. And yes, the person is unworthy. It's not about their worthiness. It's about what God is going to do through them. And so God makes them worthy. By grace, I am what I am, and so forth. The, the fish just jump in the boat. It's not your great skill as a fisherman. It's about what God is doing through you. And so there's a very fascinating connection here, at least for me, to Eastern religions where you have this notion of way, woo, way. Actionless action. And in Eastern Taoist philosophy, it's this, it's this sense of being so uh, in tune with the, your fundamental nature that there's an effortlessness to the great action that you are, are participate in. Martial arts movies play with this trope. So if you've ever seen the, uh, the martial arts movies, there's this notion where the master just does this little move with their finger and the person flies through the window in response. And that's just a, a, a Hollywoodization, of, well, um, not Hollywood for martial arts movies, um, Hong Kongization, um, of, of that, that, that theological or philosophical notion of actionless action, that when you are so in tune with the, the flow of energy, that this great energy flow works through you, and so your own participation has an effortless quality about it. And the interesting connection to this business of grace and vocation is that when you are in alignment with God's purposes for your life, it has an effortless quality to it as well. You're just being who you are. You're not trying hard. You're not trying to be something you're not. You're not struggling away. It's just, it just flows from who you are. Who you are. And in, in, in acknowledging and just being who you are, something bigger than you comes into being and takes place through you and beyond you. And so you have the great prayer at the end of the Eucharist, 
Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. It's way, woo, way. It's actionless action. It is great action. It is effortless action. It is us just being ourselves. And so that, that principle of humility, that sense that, I, you know, I'm not worthy, this is not about me, goes into all aspects of our life when we ask that question of what were we meant to be and to do, either for our life, for our career, but also for this day, for this phase of life, for this time in relationships in my family or my workplace or my community. And that if we just hear it, if we just hear what God is calling and put ourselves in line with it, we participate in something much greater than ourselves. So this is a fundamental concept, it, it, it undergirds everything that we do, and it's part of the spiritual life. It's to learn how to hear what God is saying, because most of the time, God doesn't appear to us in great visions. So the last point is about silence. Uh, we're always sort of running uh, our liturgies very quickly here, um, but I'm going to try to let them breathe a little bit more, because the intention of the liturgy is to leave time for silence because there is no way to pray without trying to get ourselves quiet, to stop the voices in our head from spinning and spinning and spinning so we can hear the still, small voice of God. This is the art of learning how to listen so that we can perceive what our vocation is, so that we can participate in it, instead of going spinning off in our own direction, which always takes more work and is less fruitful. So both in our service, but in our life, do we need time for silence, for reflection, for listening, for putting the voices to one side in order to hear what God might be saying to us at this time in our life, this day, or even for our life more generally? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.